might be the year of weird goals in college hockey. Welcome back to Puck University, everybody. I'm your host, Tim Williams, joined from the New England area, as always, by Chris Lynch. And we've got a lot to get into. A little bit of of a first-half recap, although there's still some important hockey to be played. And let's just jump right into it, because we're recording this on a Wednesday. And last night, the University of Massachusetts took on Yale. And this is just after a weekend where they had to go back and forth with Quinnipiac and where they split with Quinnipiac. They hosted Yale at the Mullins Center and they won five to two. So just a reminder, if there's anyone still doubting if this team's for real, they are for real. Oh, they beat the, at the time, second place team in the ECAC in Quinnipiac. They beat the number one ranked team in terms of just how they play out in their ECAC standings. Yale's in first place with 13 points in that conference. Quinnipiac is second with 12. And uh, UMass beat both of them. Now, mind you, they did lose the front front end of their series with Quinnipiac. And it it was just an unfortunate game where Quinnipiac played into the energy and they knew exactly the kind of team that they were going to be that night. They played with a classic Quinnipiac game, jump on a team early, get the lead and just maul you physically and outwork you at every single possible turn and lean into great goaltending, which we want to talk about stories for just national leaders and contenders. Andrew Shortridge has been nothing short of amazing with a nine. Are you ready for the safe percentage stat that Andrew Shortridge has? 966. Wow. The next closest down the list is Tommy Napier at 951. And by the way, Shortridge's goals against stat, 0.83, a 0.83 goals against average. Now, mind you uh, that the goals against average is really more of a team stat, but for him to have that kind of performance and have three shutouts, in his six starts, I'm going to repeat that again. Six starts, he has three shutouts. He is six and zero. He was the biggest difference in getting that win over UMass. And then the next night, UMass proved that they're for real. They down one nothing going into the third period, found a way to score two goals and get an empty netter. And it wasn't the big name superstars getting it done. It wasn't Ferraro or Makar, which by the way, anyone want to argue that there is a more talented defenseman in college right now than Kale Makar. I argue not a chance. I think he's the best and most talented player at his position. I think right now, I think Kale Makar is the favorite for the Hobie Baker award. If we're, if we're voting today. And if I actually had a vote, uh, he'd get it easily. And at this point it's his to lose. So it's it was a wicked series, and that crowd, 8,400 people at the Mullen Center, jammed in. And I remember going there at points when I was a BU student broadcaster. We went out to Amherst, and that place was dead. There was no one in the building. There was no one there because there were no expectations. There was no sense of you know, this team being worthwhile. There was no sense of this team being, you know, being anything and that's completely gone now and it's a beautiful thing to get to see a building jammed to capacity like that it's it it's awesome and it's 
it's the best story going in college hockey right now. And I'd be hard pressed to find a close contender, frankly. I'd say one thing about the atmosphere at the Mullen Center before and after, you can always tell in in those down years that a program has, or even if they've just had a down program for a long time, you you can kind of tell that sooner or later they're going to show up and they're going to have a chip on their shoulder about this. Because I remember joking with people when I was a Northeastern student broadcaster, we would occasionally have to take that drive out to UMass. And it, it, it was everything you would imagine a drive from Boston to Amherst would be. Lots of traffic, not the greatest of weather, and you get progressively farther and farther away from what seems like society. And then you get to Amherst, which is its own city in and of itself because these large flagship colleges always are as we see with the big 10 schools where they're real giant cities in their own right even though some of them like penn state are in the middle of nowhere but getting out to amherst just seemed like you were taking a trip to the middle of nowhere and the game felt like it too and the arena felt like it but then you kind of started to think after a while, what happens when this team gets good? And what happens when all the jokes and all the people coming and holding their nose and making jokes about having to go out to Amherst gets flipped on its head? Because certainly one thing that's no secret in Hockey East, nobody likes the Boston schools. Nobody does. Because they they have a certain air about them especially bc and bu but now that northeastern's winning i know full well we're puffing out our chests and it it's very obvious and you can see the chip on everyone's shoulder when they play these kind of teams umass has it against everybody yeah i mean UMass has it out for every single team. When they played New Hampshire, they hadn't beaten the Wildcats in at least 10 years. They played Providence. Providence was a team that in Greg Carvel's first season, the 16-17 the, uh, season, Providence humiliated UMass to and Carvel's first season with, I think, three or four consecutive losses and blew them out in pretty much every single one of them. Northeastern uh, ended their year last year. And those two teams, by the way, UMass's next enormous test is probably going to be when they play Northeastern, at which point they still very likely could have only two losses on their docket when they next play Northeastern. So... um. They always have it out for UMass Lowell, who has been successful in their own right lately, and there is that rivalry mat, uh, matter between schools of uh, uh, of the UMass system. And you're right about everyone having it out for BU and BC, and let's put some context on that. Hockey East has been playing championships every year since 1985. BU and BC. BC has 11 championships. BU has nine. That is 20 
of the Hockey East championships that have ever been contested. Uh, Maine has five. UMass Lowell has three. All of them came. All of those came in the last decade. UNH has two. Providence has two. Uh, one came. One of Providence's was the first one in the, in eighty five, and one was in the middle of the nineties, about ninety six, I think. Uh, yeah, nineteen ninety six. They beat Maine in order to do it when Maine was a power in its own right. And Northeastern has two. They had that magical run in 2016, and they won in 1988. But the Boston schools have entirely dominated that. So it's probably actually a really good thing to see UMass, which is a program that has only been to the conference championship game one time in its program's history. That came back in 2004 when they lost in triple overtime to Tim Whitehead's Maine Black Bears. So this is a program that is learning how to win on the fly and is doing a really good job of learning how to win these kind of games where there's not that much history. They had a couple years in the middle of the 2000s when they popped out of nowhere, it felt like, and really started winning stuff. I think that's a good thing to see. And I'm frankly happy for them that they're doing so well. And I think I think Carvel deserves a, at least a nod for the Penrose if we're going to consider for the coaching awards. I think he's got to be near the top of the list for considerations for coach of the year in college hockey. It could be. He's done a remarkable job with that program. And as we pointed out before, these great players on his team right now are not necessarily great players he recruited Kale McCarr had already committed to to Amherst before he took the job. So this is this is kind of coaching on the fly, and he's doing an incredible job of it. In fact, the first thing that Ryan Bamford pretty much asked him to do, Bamford is the recently hired athletic director of UMass. He was hired in 2015 to revamp what was a struggling UMass athletic program, more than just the hockey program. That, that Minuteman program had been struggling for a while. So, and I mean, the, the basketball team, the football team, uh, all of their stuff had been on the decline for a while at that point when he got hired. And he's made that school a lot more competitive and a lot more enjoyable. It's, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a fun place to get to be a part of and it's a good environment to be a part of now but the first thing basically that coach Carvel did and ryan bamford pretty much said you have to do this he called mccarr's family to try and ensure that he was going to go there and to his undying credit kale mccarr never properly considered going somewhere else he he wanted to stay loyal to his commitment and he was to his undying credit absolutely committed to making it work at Amherst. And I, I think you have to, if you're going to have a program like that, you need someone to see potential in you even when it isn't going well. And Makar is one of those guys. That whole freshman class can be filed under the category of being coached by John Nicoletto. And also, in the weird little bits of trivia uh, regarding this UMass team, I was at the last game that uh, that John Micheletto ever coached in 
in in uh, as the head man for Amherst. It was the it was the second game of uh, the first round of that tournament. It was a Saturday afternoon game between BU and UMass. I did a solo broadcast of that game for WTBU. It ended up being a five to four barn burner. And I remember Ivan Chukarov being a beast in that game and the UMass having some really good players and staying with a BU team that only the year prior was in the national title game. And then that, and would make the NCAA tournament that same year. So I remember watching that UMass team and thinking there's some potential here for them to do something. Nicolo ended up getting fired the next day and Carvel got hired and really the rest is history from that point on. While we're talking about the pleasant surprise stories of, of the season so far, we should also head out West a little bit because this was a matchup we had circled last week that Arizona state was coming to visit Princeton, another high scoring team that could, that could kind of meet their firepower and we could see what Arizona state was really all about. And they're for real too. They got a four nothing win on Friday night and then won in overtime three to two on Saturday night in a thriller, which there here come the Sundells. They remain ranked. They haven't really fallen off a cliff. Yet Johnny Walker did not keep up his tremendous pace early in the season. But they're more than one player. This is the youngest college hockey program, and they're a force to be reckoned with. It should be noted that Walker didn't play the second game. He was kept out as a precaution for uh, for a leg injury or for a lower body, body injury or something like that. So it really should be noted that um, he's he still has 13 goals and nine assists. He's tied for the nation's lead in goals. He's fallen off a little bit on his pace, but he's still in the national lead. So what Arizona State has is one of the nation's best scorers, and they have what the other ingredient that uh, is had in You've made this remark, Tim, on the podcast on this podcast a couple times. Hockey frequently becomes the game of goalie, and uh, Arizona State has a goalie. His name is uh, his name is Joey Dackard. That four to nothing game, which Arizona State won over Princeton at Hobie Baker Rink, forty five saves Joey Dackard made. He, including twenty one of them, came in the second period. 12 in each, the first and the third, which is the first and third is respectable because he made 12 saves each, but that second period, he made 21 saves in one single period. I, I'm not sure on this, but I think that 45 save performance has got to be among the highest uh, save performances to this point in the college hockey season. And he did something similar the next night, which he made 36, allowed only two to get by him in Penn State, uh, and uh, excuse me, in Princeton, finally cracked them when Kuffner and Varanau, who are their two leading guys, got on the board. And I should note, in the meanwhile, some concern about Princeton because if we're, we've been talking about the positive and the the really really inspiring stories, the revival at UMass and the birth of college hockey in the desert at Arizona State, but Penn, but Princeton has been 
really kind of a disappointing team to this point. They have that top line of Varanow and Kuffner who can do some some damage, but overall they're ranked 40th out of 60 for goals per game. And they just haven't looked as strong as you would expect them you know, to be able to produce offensively. And they've been leaving Furland. Their Ryan Furland, their goaltender, out to dry a little bit. And they're they're fifth in their conference right now at three, four, and one. The trouble is they're three, eight, and one overall. So they're gonna have to go on a run in the second half. It would help for them to get a big win against Penn State and Philly on Saturday. But I while we're talking about Arizona State being very good, and we should, I have to note that about Princeton as well. Still though, it's great that uh, Arizona State gets this kind of performance and they, that they get this kind of notoriety. And I hope that uh, other schools are looking at them thinking we could have something like that. And speaking of high scoring teams, we also had this matchup circled Notre Dame at Penn State for a couple of games. Notre Dame took the Friday night matchup five to four. And then Penn State came roaring back in a way that only they seem to be able to do, winning 9-1 to one on Saturday night. Yeah, you joked uh, before we got into it that Penn State plays video game hockey, where they just, I mean, in part, Hale Morris and Dylan St. Cyr got lit up like Christmas trees in that. And that's going to happen sometimes where you have bad games. But what's even more surprising about all of it is that there weren't that many penalties. There were enough. I mean, Notre Dame took four penalties, and the, the Nittany Lions had three goals on those power plays. It should also be noted that Notre Dame had the lead at one point in that game. They scored the first goal, and Cam Morrison got uh, got a pot 335 in off a of feed from Cal Burke. And then afterwards, Penn State with nine unanswered goals where Alex Lamoges and Evan Barrett just went completely berserk. And that whole team plays with a sense of speed that no one else does. And truthfully, it's probably a good thing that – they play with that kind of pace and speed because I think there's two ways that you can really get your fans into the building when you're a new team and you can hype them up and get some excitement. Uh, I think either you can play a wildly physical game and get in because you win over the uh, the blue-collar fighting crowd, or you can go the skill route and go with the speed and grace and that kind of uh, agility and that kind of offensive potence. Because people will watch fights, and people will watch goals in hockey. I think you know which way uh, Penn State went, and it's working so beautifully for them in Hockey Valley. And I think that's really the way hockey's going in general. You see it in the NHL. You see it on almost every level that – Teams are just getting faster now, and the teams that are best at playing that fast style of hockey tend to be rising to the top of their leagues. I cover the Tampa Bay Lightning, so I see it on a regular basis that they can just outskate 
everyone and it helps them win games. And you see it in college hockey with Penn State and with some other teams like St. Cloud State, who is also on a roll. They regained their number one ranking after sweeping Omaha. It was a deserved uh, rise back up to the ranks. I remember talking with some people at the Mullins Center after their Saturday night win over Quinnipiac, thinking that uh, UMass probably should maintain their number one spot. And no, just, just, just no. They'd stay in the top five because they won and because they managed to eke out a win. But, and St. St. Cloud's opponent in Omaha is not quite on par with Quinnipiac, who is a nationally ranked team and is a top five team now. They were eighth in the in the polls before this weekend, and they're now fifth in uh, the polls afterwards. And Nebraska Omaha is an under five hundred team, but you can't uh, you can't have that kind of performance on Friday night and keep your number one spot. St. Cloud. They completely deserve it. They still only have one loss to their name, which, by the way, Northeastern is the only team to have beaten St. Cloud at all this year. Otherwise, the goalie tandem of David Rennick and Jeff Smith has been immaculate to this point outside of that one uh, one night where Northeastern managed to just win through being able to turn up through the neutral zone with their defenders in a way that uh, St. Cloud wasn't ready for that one time. Otherwise, the St. Cloud team is third in the nation for goals per game at 4.08. They're one of three teams to be above 4.0 goals per game for their offensive categories. They're also the second best defensive team in the country. They're allowing only 1.79 goals per game. The number one team in that category is Quinnipiac at 176. Just shortly behind them, uh, behind St. Cloud, is Bowling Green and Minnesota State, and then Duluth. So it's it's a tight it's a tight team. But St. Cloud, for right now, they totally deserve that number one spot. I don't think they play for a little bit afterwards. I think they are now officially on their break. Yeah, some teams are starting to enter their break. I know Northeastern's entered theirs after after dispatching Merrimack in Merrimack 7 to 2 just if there is a Lawler effect, it's about two goals. <laughs> Merrimack is a weird, weird team because early on in the season they played Lake State very well. Who's you know Lake State is fourth in the WCHA right now, and they're nine and nine six and one overall. They've been a surprisingly good team, and they've put on some pretty good showings. And then they beat Bentley on the road, which is a pretty good showing. They uh, they took UMass to overtime. They split with BC. They split with Bemidji. And they've put on some performances, which have, and also I'm, I'm kind of ignoring the 4 nothing whooping they put on BU. So either they put on a really good show or they're close, or they just get blown out of the water because some of the scores that they've had against them, 5-1 to one in Amherst, Eight to three at the Sanford Center in Bemidji when they played the Bemidji State Beavers. Seven to two against Providence. Seven to five against Providence. 
nine to one against Northeastern, six nothing to Providence, and seven two to Northeastern. That last game being at home. And their next two times hitting the ice, they get Denver and Colorado College. And while we'll, I'll fully admit at least that Colorado College has been a bit on the disappointing side, that's not a particularly good way to go into your break, particularly for a first-year head coach trying to get himself adjusted who's shown that, you know, this team will fight and this team can win. That's not particularly good confidence building. It is for Northeastern, though, who continues to deserve uh, one of the top spots in hockey East. They're only a point behind. Uh, they're only a point behind BC at thirteen. A point behind BC and UMass. UMass is seven and zero right now in hockey East. BC is has played nine games. That's one more than Northeastern. Two more than UMass. It's six one and two. So Northeastern a ten win team at the break. Which let's remind everybody again that they lost. In some ways, the identity of their team in their entire top scoring line of Sakura and Stevens and Hope Baker winner Gaudet. And they're still a 10-win team to this point before the break, uh, or rather at their break right now. So really a wicked run for Northeastern right now. Well, it goes back to the power of coaching and the power of speed because there's another team that plays that fast style of hockey. Jim Madigan has has always preached it, and they go recruit guys that can do it, and they get it done. It's not the same team they had last year by any stretch, but they're also getting it done defensively in a way they weren't last year, and they have that signature win. We mentioned it earlier. They, they defeated... St. Cloud State at home in Matthews, which is no small task. So they're on a good run right now, and they have a, a pretty nice, clear schedule. They're at the Catamount Cup coming out of the break on December 28th and 29th at Gutterson Fieldhouse. And that's against Rensselaer and Alabama Huntsville is on the schedule. And in there as well then they get they come back home to play merrimack on january 5th then two games at maine and then those that big home and home matchup you referenced earlier january 18th and 19th northeastern plays massachusetts the weekend after they have a home and home with providence so we'll learn a lot about all of those hockey east teams all of whom have had that similar schedule quirk not having, other than UMass and Providence, not really having played each other yet. Well, not yet. There's plenty of time to sort it out. And then right after that Providence series is the Beanpot. And Northeastern gets BU. And under the category of wildly disappointing starts to this season, of wild, wildly disappointing first halves, throw the Boston University Terriers at the top of that list that has been just unbelievably disappointing to this point. So it, it's just, it's as a BU alum, it's really frustrating to see BU perform so poorly to this point. But uh, it's not an undeserved uh, it's not an undeserved position for them to be, and they're only in fifth place right now because they're a 500 hockey East team, but they're suffering from 
what I'll refer to as BCitis, which is that uh, they haven't won out of conference in a long time. They haven't won out of conference this year. So uh, that's just that's just that's just disappointing. But still, BU will get up for that Beanpot game, and Northeastern should also get up for that Beanpot game on the fourth. But yeah, that stretch from uh, really from the nineteenth or the 18th at in Amherst all the way through the bean pot. That is going to be one of the defining stretches of Northeastern season to see if they can handle the big tests because they handled their biggest test uh, to this point of beating St. Cloud. But that series against Union is still going to hang on them a bit. And only barely beating RIT is also going to hang on them a bit. Only barely beating Vermont is going to hang on them a little bit. And they should put on a good performance at the uh, at the Gutterson Fieldhouse for the Catamount Cup. Those are teams in RPI and Huntsville that Northeastern should absolutely beat. And it should be the start to, to trophy season for them. For them going down and hunting for uh, for hardware to bring back to Matthews. And as I pointed out on this podcast before, under Jim Madigan, Northeastern has generally performed better in the new year than in the first half of the season. Certainly, we can look to 2015-16, where they turned on the Jets and shocked Hockey East. But but that's just kind of how they've done their, their business over the last few years. The next year after that, defending their Hockey East title, they had a miserable start, but clawed their way back into contention toward the end and gave BU a real scare there when BU had a team that, by all rights, should have killed them. And Northeastern gets up for playing BU whenever they end up playing each other. The, the counter to that is that BU also knows exactly the kind of opponent they're getting every single time they play Northeastern. So they can get up and they can counter each other out. But you're right about that that description. I think Northeastern is absolutely a team to watch with all the buzz that's been surrounding UMass lately because of how amazing a story it is and how much press has been around Providence. And rightly so. Those are two great teams. I don't think Northeastern should be lost in the fold as much as it feels like they are being a little bit lost or ignored. It's weird because UMass is 7-0 in Hockey East right now. Northeastern is third. BC is second, and Providence is tied with them with uh, with Northeastern for third with 13 points. And it feels like the only teams that are getting a lot of press right now are BC and North are, are, uh, are UMass and Providence. BC and Northeastern are kind of – I feel like some people have gotten somewhat adjusted to, okay, so yeah, Northeastern's a respectable program now, so we kind of expect them to be there. But Providence, we expect them to win a national championship because they've done it. And UMass, oh, wow, it's shiny and new. It's, it's shiny new-itis, I guess, if I'm coining terms and phrases and things that people suffer from. If, if you catch my drift, you understand, my friend. Well, before this podcast, I joked that I'm kind of questionable with a middle body injury. So <laughs> got to love those hockey terms and the, those injury terms. Moving on to this week, there is one matchup coming into the break that is really worth circling. 
really a couple, but one that stands out, and that's Minnesota State and Bowling Green. Mankato still number th- three in the nation, and Bowling Green number 12. I'm going by the USCHO poll again. These are two teams that you mentioned teams that don't necessarily get enough press. How about Bowling Green? Yeah, I think we tried to mention them a little bit earlier on this season when they put a thumping on Ohio State uh, in Columbus. They went up there and won 8-2, to two, but their offense isn't in any way the identity of that team. The Falcons lean into uh lean into one of the nation's best defense until i think two weeks ago or maybe even as recently as last week bowling green was the best team in the nation as far as disallowing goals and also just as a sidebar thing let's acknowledge how impressive it is that if we were to have the ncaa tournament today there would be a bare minimum of two WCHA schools going because the Mavericks, unless they fall off a cliff and lose 10 in a row, which they're likely not going to do, Mankato will be there. Minnesota State is going to be in the NCAA tournament, and they'll be a high seed in that tournament. And Bowling Green, unless they also fall off of a cliff or unless Tom Foolery happens when teams on the bubble win their conferences to get the uh, to get the bid, like if Yale or Western Michigan or Clarkson or Michigan Tech push, and well, not all of them can because Clarkson and Yale are in the same conference, but if like three of those schools end up pushing for their conferences and winning their tournaments, unless something crazy like that happens, Bowling Green is going to the tournament guaranteed. And Michigan Tech is not far away. In fact, Michigan Tech is second in their conference at 8-1-1. One, and one. So I just like seeing the fact that there will be some representation from the WCHA guaranteed. It will be Mankato, and it very likely will be Bowling Green. But it's been a long time, and it's been Bowling Green nearly folded after the 09-10 season when they slipped badly, when and they ran into some financial troubles. And they resurrected themselves to be a respectable program in the, in the CCHA on its last legs of existence before – uh, they joined the WCHA in 2017. Uh, they made the trip to the WCHA championship, and they were banging on the doors trying to beat Northern Michigan last year, and they nearly did it. It would have been their second consecutive time going to the conference title game, and they would have hosted it last year if they would have beaten Northern. So it's just one of those really fun stories to get to see a program that has a national championship in its history 84 they won the longest game ever played in college hockey's history quadruple overtime in the national championship game coached by jerry york you know that guy who's at bc now and they beat minnesota duluth in quadruple overtime to win the national championship and they make a point of pride that Ohio State and Miami are in their same state. Neither of them have a natty. Bowling Green is the only one of the three Division I Ohio schools that has a national championship. They have that history. They survived being folded in, 
And now they get to play Mankato, a team in their conference who's a wicked contender. I think that's a great story. I think it's one of the best that we have in college hockey right now. And the other big matchup this weekend, we already touched on it a little bit. College hockey comes to Philadelphia on Saturday as Penn State takes on Princeton. Now, these are the two closest college hockey programs to the city of Philadelphia. So it makes sense that they'd be playing at the Wells Fargo Center. It would be nice for it to send a message to, say, all the Philadelphia schools that don't yet play, but this is going to be a good one, and it should attract quite a crowd because, as we pointed out, there's very little that gets people to buy tickets like a team that can score at will. And you have two of them that can score like no one's business. And as much as I noted earlier on that Princeton has struggled a bit, Kuffner and Veronau and Josh Tevez are wicked shooters and wicked players. They can make some magic happen offensively. So they're a threat to score whenever they touch the puck. And Penn State is uh, is, is a video game. Uh, so <laughs> Penn State is video game hockey, as you've, you've coined at its finest. And it's beautiful. It's fun. It's exciting. And... It's weird that Philadelphia doesn't have a college hockey team. In large part, it's a college basketball school. To its core, the Palestra is the Sistine Chapel of uh, of college basketball. You know, Villanova is the biggest, for what I know of right now and for what I'm able to keep up with right now, it seems like Nova's the biggest name in college sports in that area for its basketball team, as it is right now. And they've won well, two national championships in the last three years. And I'll add to that that the Big Five is one of the very few things we have in college sports that can be somewhat compared to the Beanpot. Yeah. You have all of these schools that play in Philadelphia – they they all get together to leave out Drexel and they, to play each other. <laughs> and one of those schools, the uh, the host, the place where the Palestra is, Penn, they used to have a hockey team, but they stopped supporting it in '78. Uh, uh, yeah, after the 1978 season, they they stopped having a team after that, which is really disappointing because a it knocked the Ivies down from having seven teams to only six. And B, it's, it's one less school that's playing college hockey. And they still have a facility where they hypothetically could do it. I think it would be really hard to get all the Ivies in and playing hockey because Penn, you might be able to convince people over there to do so. Columbia, um, probably not because they're in Manhattan. And to the best of my knowledge, there is one uh, indoor ice rink. And that's down on the pier, and you can't get anyone over there. So you'd have to build something either in the Bronx or Queens or uh, or Brooklyn or somewhere else that's not on campus for Columbia. So that would be really hard to do, but Penn you could certainly do. And also, Philly has hosted college hockey before. They had the Frozen Four in 2014, and it was one of the most successful Frozen Fours that we've ever had. In part, 
there's a great underdog story with with tiny little Union College winning a national championship and beating BC and Minnesota in order to do it. So that place has already seen and gotten a taste of really high caliber college hockey in that building. It'd be nice to get to see him try it again and hopefully make it work for the long term. But I guess only time will tell to see if any of the Philadelphia schools will take a look at it and say, this is pretty good and try it and try it over in their neck of the woods. Well, and if you'll recall, the best player in that Frozen Four, the guy who won it for Union, ended up with the Flyers, Shane Gostisbehere. Yeah, uh, and he was he was so far and away the best player. And that city loves the Flyers. As much as I'm not a Flyers fan for personal like history, I'm a Bruins fan, and 2010 never happened. Full uh, disclosure to everyone listening. If you're a hockey fan of a team that's north of D.C. and east of the Mississippi River, you hate all the other teams in oh, that area. Oh, all yeah. Of them. And it's a long storied rivalry and it, it's insane. Oh, absolutely. But for the ones that I personally can't stand the most at this point, it, it's Philly uh, because I have personal beef with, uh, with the Flyers. They taught me pain in the hockey world with that 2010 series against the Bruins. That never happened. So, uh, but to that city's credit, they love their Flyers and they love their professional hockey. So it'd be nice to get to see that city really, really, really support it. And I'm sure that Penn State will churn out people to go. I have my questions about whether or not Princeton will be able to churn out attendance because for all of our attendance woe conversation that we did last week, Princeton is on that list of schools that haven't really been supporting their hockey team as well as they probably should because this is the best time to have it. But, you know, it's just one of those places where I don't know if uh, they'll be able to get their support when they take their show on the road. Penn State, meanwhile, oh, they'll get people. Uh, Penn State is one of the places where I think I've seen the most school pride uh, of going to Penn State and being a part of that community out in happy valley and more power to them so they'll churn out that that place will be mostly a penn state crowd i think it'll be a great weekend ahead for college hockey and just an announcement before we go that next week i will not be call, uh, doing this from florida i will be doing this from boston luck permitting at actual punters pub where we're going to hope to get together and do a podcast to to send off one of college hockey's great bars the spiritual home of the doghouse for so many years and i i'm sure i will i will go on and on a little bit about being a northeastern guy and a northeastern fan and i might get a little misty but it's something that I've wanted to do ever since I heard that they got sold to Northeastern because if you're on Huntington Avenue, Northeastern's motto are, is, are you for sale yet? <laughs> and it's like that for every big school is trying to buy up their whole area. I mean, BU 
bought up Wheelock College pretty recently, and they're kind of close-ish by over in the Fenway area, not quite on Commonwealth Avenue, but close enough. And Harvard is just trying to own all of Cambridge and also MIT. It just exists and owns the other half of Cambridge. So this isn't nothing new, particularly for the uh, the expansion-minded Boston area schools. Just, just for the record here. In That's fact, nothing. I believe Harvard just this week bought a large portion of Alston. I mean, that wouldn't surprise me in any possible way. They uh, they do like to uh, they do like to make sure that they have stuff in their banks because remember, Harvard has unlimited money, so they can <laughs> do whatever they want. <laughs> But that's going to be a fun podcast, and I hope that uh, I'll be around as well, and that might end up being my first and sadly only time ever in Punter's Pub. But I'm a BU guy, so you know I don't get that. Uh, I'm fairly certain I wouldn't get that kind of love going over to Punter's if I broadcast that too proudly, which if I might uh, interject, I'll be at both the uh, the game in Philadelphia, the Penn State-Princeton game, but the night before, I'll be at Dartmouth and BU, a game which really has me intrigued for the way that the season is going for both these teams and the way that they'll wrap up their first halves just to see if they can offer a positive end to both of it. For what's been a rather it's, – it's been a good half for Dartmouth so far, and it's been a really lousy half and a lot of points for BU. Yeah, it's we we talked about this before we started recording, and you can see that middle body injury kind of seeped in because I almost forgot about it. But that's a that's a big matchup for both teams because they both need to get on track in tough conferences as the schedule in those conferences, as we mentioned, gets really intense in the new year. Well, Dartmouth is already, I would say, for right now anyway, they're on track. They're third place in their conference right now in the ECAC at four two and one overall the the problem is for them is they can they're they're struggling with bcitis they haven't won outside of the ecac they they and some of their games in which they've lost have been kind of wow losses they give up six goals to harvard in an overtime game and still ended up coming away with a victory but they lost seven to one the next night to princeton and lost four to two to brown and then also they lost to Vermont and got completely swept away by the New Hampshire Wildcats, which I'll go on record and say that New Hampshire is better than their record and is a danger team to watch coming out of the Hockey East playoffs. In fact, I would not be surprised if they, when they end up making the playoffs in Hockey East, because they will, I kind of expect UNH to put a scare into whatever team they end up facing, maybe even pulling an upset. But for right now, Dartmouth lost to that team, and they're looking to end up pretty well against BU. But they've had some bad games through the first part. They had some good ones too. You know, they beat Cornell when they came up to uh, uh, when the Big Red came visiting. They beat Yale down at Ingles, which is not an easy thing to do, and they beat Quinnipiac. So that's a good Dartmouth team going up against a BU team that has a lot of problems to figure out on their half of the rink. And it was a big turnaround in the second half for BU last year. They're 
after this weekend, they're going to be looking to pull off another one this year. They're going to need to with the hole they've dug themselves. This has been Puck University. Please follow this podcast wherever you found it. Blog Talk Radio, which is our host website, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, please subscribe and follow us. Follow me on Twitter at Tim Writes Sports. Follow Chris on Twitter at CC Lynch Wall. And you can catch all his stuff at InsideHockey.com, where we've got, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have another guest coming on that's the that's an editor at InsideHockey.com and happens to be out in Grand Forks, happens to be a big North Dakota guy. So we'll get a more Western perspective, we promise, sooner or later here on Puck University. We keep trying. We keep trying to get uh, to avert Eastern bias, but we need some help. We're not very good at that. I'd say it's Eastern bias, but with this romantization of what we think the Western teams are like this love of the upper peninsula. <laughs> well, I mean, they've been so nice to us whenever we, uh, I mean, whenever we say something nice about them, they keep saying, yes, say more nice things about us. They're so friendly. Except the Penn state, but we're not exactly Penn state supporters. So I think we're in the clear. Well, and it's in a very funny way. Yeah, that sounds about accurate. That they're uh, it, it's charming up there. So uh, I'd love to have Eric on the second that uh, that we're able to, and anyone who wants to come on and provide a college hockey perspective is welcome to come on here and discuss it with us. That will be something we're gonna do in the new year. We're gonna have a lot of guests on. I I'd like to say one a week, but I don't want to make that promise but we're going to shoot for one a week and try and get that going, add new voices to this podcast in case you're tired of hearing ours and keep it going. And please tell a friend about this podcast. If you know someone who loves college hockey and doesn't yet know that we're doing this, we will, we'll be up in Boston next week from punters pub. Hopefully this has been puck university. I'm Tim Williams for Chris Lynch. Everybody, keep your head up and your hits clean.